0: Great, Matthew chapter 2. We read in verse 1. Matthew 2 verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, And have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Well, they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For... gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Father, I pray that this evening (coughs) meet with us, Jesus. Come, come and, and reveal Yourself through Your Word to our hearts. I pray that there would be opened up God, that we would be as wise men and women here tonight, those who seek diligently Your presence. Father, we love this time of year. We love to see our breath in the air. We love to see the snow fall, the lights on the homes, the presents under the trees, and um, we we just love to have this great Christmas season. And Father, we desire that it would be even better by including Your Son. The celebration of his birth in the mix. So, Lord, it's our prayer that we would not forget, but that we would be devoted worshipers at this time. We pray for our friend Chris in Germany. Lord, that you would use him amidst the unbelievers to be your light. Give him strength while he's there, in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew (laughs) 2, the Christmas story we're so familiar with, aren't we? But it's been said that those who are closest to Christmas are actually many times the farthest from Christmas. And I, I just tonight want to exhort us, encourage us not to forget that, because... Oh, we come and we're like yes, Christmas. I know the manger, Jesus, wise men, stars. You know, shepherds, angels, and we have we know the story. We know what it's about, and sometimes we let that knowledge completely hinder actually having a worshipful heart during this season. And we know that America is very aggressively pursuing the um, Christless part of Christmas. you know, we call it the holidays, and and all that stuff's fine, I understand, because we want to be like Hanukkah sensitive and other things, but we do obviously notice that there's less and less of an emphasis on Jesus Christ, and more and more of an emphasis upon fat men in red suits, with little minions running around with long ears, carrying presents and reindeers, and Santa and his elves. You guys look at me like, what are you talking about? (laughs) More of this emphasis on like trees and presents, you know, all this stuff. And, um... You guys have perhaps seen Christmas um, shortened, abbreviated, with the X, M-A-S, Xmas, for Christmas. And I thought that that X was actually kind of appropriate. Because it's, it's a lot of what happens at the Christmas time. Many people come to an X. They come to a crossroads in their life. See, when you come to this time of year, you have some people going this way and some people going that way about what Christmas is about. And when you're confronted with Jesus, you have different attitudes and different reactions, don't you? And we see these different attitudes about Christmas. Here at the Christmas crisis, the Christmas crossroads, when the three, right, the three wise men come into Jerusalem and Herod hears about them, it says that they asked, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, uh, in the east it could say, and we have come to worship him. Hey, what, what are all these people? Herod, look at them. They look out and there's not three little kings coming with little gifts and three little camels and... Oh, that's significant. That, that wouldn't be very significant. Herod wouldn't be very troubled about three little guys coming into Jerusalem. He would maybe not even notice them. These, these wise men were magi. Magi is the Greek word there. And magi came from Babylon where Daniel once was, a servant in the courts of Nebuchadnezzar. And perhaps these magi... Heard about some of the messianic prophecies from Daniel, and they were interested in searching them out themselves. And being the pagans that they are, they worship the stars in the heavens. And one day, one night, actually, <laughs> they're looking up, and they, what, what, that, Bob, was that thing there last night? No. Hey, Billy, do you remember that little bright spot in the sky? Absolutely not. This is intriguing. This is amazing. Do you think that this is what? No, I don't think we'd ever see... No, I think maybe it is what Daniel said might happen. Really? Yeah, let's go back and look at the scriptures that Daniel talked about. If you look at Isaiah chapter 60, this is pretty um, picturesque. In Isaiah chapter 60, it's to your left about a quarter of an inch or so. Perhaps, I propose perhaps, These Magi had in their possession this passage in Isaiah 60. It says, Arise and shine your light, or shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will rise upon you, and His glory will be seen upon you, and nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. You jump down to verse 6. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. Dude, isn't that so what's happening in Matthew 2? Arise and shine, for your light has come. The, the, the star in the sky, and maybe the magic... Hey, this is in the prophecies of the, the Hebrew Scriptures. Perhaps, perhaps this promise is coming true. Let's, let's grab gold and frankincense. Well, what do they know? What is the light significant? Well, if you go to Numbers 24, verse 17, there, you guys might recall, that wicked prophet Balaam was hired by the king of Moab to curse the Israelites, as they were settled there about to enter the Promised Land. And he looks at the two million and he says, Oh my gosh, what I can't defeat these people. And so he hires Balaam, the king of Moab does, and he says, Curse them! Make them die! Bring a pestilence upon them! I don't want to handle them! So he comes and he looks at the people spread about on the ground and he opens his mouth to curse them and as the words come out, a blessing is uttered upon the nation of Israel. And the king of Moab is furious and he, he slaps his fist in his hand. He says, I, I hired you to curse him and you bless him? And, then, and he opens his mouth again and blessing comes out and, and he's just furious. I've hired you to curse him. Try it one more time. So they try a new spot. They try a new sacrifice. All the rituals are redone. This time we got it. So Balaam opens his mouth and once again he blesses them. Because, you see, you can't curse God's people. God is for them, so no one can be against them. And while He blesses them, Balaam does. Do you know what comes out of his mouth there in Numbers 24? A prophecy. And the prophecy says, I see in Judah a scepter shall rise and a star in Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Judah and a star in Jacob. And it goes on to say, and he shall rule a star. Maybe these magi said, didn't Daniel tell us something about a star coming out of Israel to rule? Guys, their little council has, I think this is time the king is born. So, they gather an entourage. You wouldn't travel 500 miles from Babylon Babylon all the way down to Jerusalem without a group of people. There's lions and tigers and bears, robbers and bandits and thieves, oh my, on the route, and things can happen. So you need that entourage, and here they are, hundreds perhaps, perhaps 300 instead of three, and they're going down with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Just entourage just fabulously clothed people from Babylon, one of the mightiest cities in history. And when Herod and his people see this entourage coming to Jerusalem, oh my, <laughs> what do we do with these people? And when he hears Herod, when he hears what they're looking for, he's troubled. Why is Herod troubled? Because they say, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Wait a minute! I'm king of the Jews, Herod says. What do you Bring those people to me. I'm going to talk with them. And so he brings them over. Who are you looking for again? Oh, we're looking for the king of the Jews. Don't you know I am the king of the Jews? Oh, no. The star tells me it's not you. <laughs> You're not the king of the Jews. So there's a the king of the Jews. Hmm, very interesting. Tell me more. Tell me more. And, I, well, we, we came to you to know more. Perhaps you would know where this king was born. And so they're like, hmm, I don't know. Um, I got an idea. Let's call the scribes and the chief priests. They're good. They know what they're doing. So, Herod gives them a call. He brings in the scribes and the chief priests. Now, these guys are characters, okay? I, <laughs> I can just see these scribes and who they are to this day. Let's take a look at what they do, first of all. In verse 4, it says that Herod assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they told him. That's an easy one, Herod. In Bethlehem of Judea, for it was written by Micah the prophet. It's Micah 5.2 that they quote. Micah prophesied Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. They knew. He called the scribes. Hey, hey, scribes, come. And they come. And they are arrayed in some fancy apparel because they're the upper class of Jerusalem, okay? They're amongst the elite of the Jews. And they come smug and proud with all their knowledge. For you see, what a scribe did was he wrote out the law of God by hand. Genesis through Deuteronomy and the prophets. And they just wrote it and wrote... That's why they're called scribes. They scribed the law. And they were experts. I would compare them today to um, lawyers, doctors, and even seminary graduates. Now, what do these have in common? Not always, but often, at least specifically the lawyers, they're very, very proud people. And they have a lot, a lot of knowledge, which is why they're very proud. They make a lot of money. And here come these scribes from the age of 14... They would be given into the system where they had to study the law of God and study all the commentaries on it. They immersed themselves in this from 14 all the way till they were 40 years old, and then they were allowed to be ordained as a rabbi or as a teacher of the law. So literally like lawyers who go to school for like decades to get their degrees, these people studied for 36, 26 years to get their degree to be scribes. They knew God's Word inside and out. And when Herod says, Hey, this Messiah, where are you supposed to be born? Just in case it happened, Oh, Bethlehem. It was easy, Herod. We know that one. Huh. See, they knew. They knew everything about Christmas. They knew where Jesus was to be born. And perhaps it's like you and me this evening. Oh, I know that one. Oh yeah, Christmas! I'm so familiar. This same story every year. Oh, hum, hum. What am I getting for Christmas this year? <laughs> the scribes were those people who worship God in the head, but not in the heart. They were readers of the word, but they weren't leaders of it. They—they are they what James would say in James one twenty-two. Be doers of the Word and not hearers only. But they were hearers only and not doers. They had all this knowledge and wealth. They went to school. They were superior. They're getting the big bucks, the degree, the status of Israel. And yet, when it came to Jesus, oh, they knew the answers. But do you see them at the manger scene in Bethlehem? Do you see them saying... I know that and I want to worship that. No. It's just knowledge to them. You know, maybe some of you, you when I ask people, why do you come to church? Why do you come to Bible study? Uh, the, the general answer I hear, not always, but generally, you hear the answer to know more about God or to learn about Jesus. And, and that's fine, that's important but careful that knowing about Him and learning of Him is not the ultimate goal. If if knowing Jesus doesn't bring us to Jesus, we are erring severely and we're walking in the way of pride. Oh yeah, Jesus is all in here, but, but what about the heart? The scribes knew everything. They probably convinced themselves that God had to let them into heaven because they knew so much. They devoted their lives to His study. Yet when it came to Jesus, where were they? Well, I know all that. I'm not going to go Genesis. <laughs> I quit. I know everything about Genesis. Well, perhaps you do. <laughs> That's great. But, but what about Jesus? What about just coming to hear what He would have to say to you in in His Word that night? Or just coming to worship through song or through prayer or through the fellowship of the saints? But the scribes were so learned. They were so detached. They were so proud. We're not going to Jerusalem. Well, Herod now knows. The scribes know. Verse 6, 7. So after he has all this knowledge, Herod summoned the wise men secretly. This should be a red light to the wise men instantly. Herod summons them secretly. They should know right away, when Herod has to say, out of my court, servants, I have a secret meeting with you, wise men. Come. Come, you're very important to me. I want to tell you something that nobody else can hear. You have to keep this down. We're not meeting. No one knows about this. I want to tell you something secret. Promise to keep this a secret? Oh yeah, here. We'll keep it a secret. Good. Guys, when people do that to you, you should have that red light go on and say, something here is wrong. Something is not going down that's right. I have to tell you something. Lauren, it's a secret. You can't let Jaden hear. What should Lauren do? Oh, yes. Gossip. I can't wait. (laughs) Absolutely not. You know, when people have to, we have to make things like no one else can hear. If you have to hush your tone, maybe you shouldn't be saying it. If we have to listen extra hard or carefully, maybe we shouldn't be listening. If we have to go like into a corner and devise a little plane about someone I don't mean like a surprise party, okay, come on, use your logic, that's cool, but like, can you believe what they did to me? I'm like, what are we gonna do about this? And they come up with this little plan out in the corner. All these secret little gatherings, they don't unify, they divide. And if you have to keep something hush and ho hum, maybe it's a sin. I I've never heard a youth student come up to me and brag about the sex he had last time with his girlfriend. I've never heard that. Why? Because they know that should be kept a secret from Brandon. Because it's a sin, it's not godly. He won't smile upon that. Let's keep it a secret. Is your life one that is open and you can just let people in and out? You can talk about whatever you want loudly because you know you are righteous in all your ways? Or every now and then you have to look over your shoulder and make sure Billy's not listening? Or make sure that Peter isn't going to see what you're doing. Herod called him in secretly, and the wise men should have known, oh no, something fishy is going on. In Judges 3, there's this awesome guy's story about Ehud and Eglon. Eglon was a very, very fat king who oppressed the Israelites. And, um... Well, the Israelites wanted their freedom, so God raised up this guy named Ehud, this left-handed swordsman. And Ehud goes in, and some of you know the story, it's a great story, but when he goes in to the king's palace, this is the key moment. After he gives tribute to the king, pretending to be a servant to him, and oh, Eglon, you fat king, you're so mighty, your excellence is as big as your belly, we worship you. And then, (laughs) when all that's done, Ehud says, Eglon. I have a secret message for the king just for you. So Eglon says, oh, some intelligence I see. We're going to squash our enemy. This is going to be good. Servants leave. I don't want any traitors. He clears out his palace and Ehud and Eglon are by themselves and (laughs) Ehud pulls Eglon close to whisper in his ear and when Eglon has no idea what's happening he pulls the sword thrusts it into his belly and Eglon dies. By the way he was so fat the sword disappeared in his belly. (laughs) Oh I love that. (laughs) And Ehud um, drags his corpse into the bathroom shuts the door jumps out the window and escapes and the servants are outside going this is becoming embarrassing what's happening. So they go in and Oh he's in the bathroom okay Everything's... they just give him a space you know, you know. they wait an hour passes what did he eat <laughs> this is kind of we should go check on him they knock on the bathroom door no answer they open it and he's dead and all this blood piled on the floor and oh he's dead and, and Ehud escaped I thought that's brilliant to lock him in the bathroom gives you time to run I thought that's just brilliant if you're ever gonna make a murder no just <laughs> um but man, Eglon's fall was when he cast everyone out to hear the secret. Ooh, juicy information. Careful, Christian. Please be careful. Look out for that secret knowledge. That, that gossip. That, hey, we have to keep this down. It even goes, not just socially, but spiritually. You guys know that there are Christian churches that are promoting this stuff, like the secret message of Jesus... Well, what do you mean? We've been studying Him and worshiping Him and following Him for 2,000 years and suddenly there's a secret? Like, we didn't know about this? God, why didn't You tell us? We've been doing it wrong for 2,000 years. My goodness. No. God, if it's new, doctrinally, if it's new, it's not true. Everything that God wants us to know is here. There's no Third Testament as some try to propose. There's no gospel of Judas or of Thomas. That Everything that God intended us to know and to study is bound up in this Bible. And and that goes with the part of what we call the um, doctrine of inspiration. We believe that from cover to cover, it's God's intended word and it is complete. Every word is the very word of God. And if we have, well, you guys need to listen to me. I have a secret new message God just told me. Really? And years later, they become this group called the Mormons. Or I have this secret message that only we know. We're the secret 144,000. And then you have this group called the Watchtower or the Jehovah's Witness. All cults start off with this thing of, I just found something new that we've been doing. We never knew all this time. It's a secret. Careful. Look out for those secrets. If it's something like, oh, we never knew this. It's probably not true. It's probably why we never knew it. There's a reason. You know what? Sometimes some people like, maybe you've heard this or something. they like read a verse and they give you like this amazing insight into it and like, wow, I never saw that in that verse. Well, it's probably because it was never actually there. (laughs) They just made it up or something. We need to be careful to check what we hear and know with the Scriptures. And well, all that long tangent to say, Herod called the wise and secretly they should have known something's up. Something was up. Herod says in verse 8. Uh, he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And with that, he waves them off with a hand, plops down on the couch, and turns on Monday night football. <laughs> and the wise men go worship Jesus, and Herod's right there. Woo, go Vikings! Yeah, the dome just collapsed on you. That's great. Did you hear about that? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, alright. And he's like just watching TV. Alright, that's over. Soap operas. And he's just having a good time. Herod never goes to Bethlehem. You guys know how close Bethlehem is to Jerusalem? Herod probably could have shot an airsoft bullet at it from his palace if he wanted to. Ah, that squirrel again. <laughs> It It was not very far. And yet Herod... And the scribes, these two groups of people who were closest to Christmas, it was just a town over. They were the ones that said, "Hmm, oh, hum, no, thanks." The scribes went back to their studies. Oh, please, God, study, study, study. Jesus, God, God, God. And then Herod, oh yeah, Jesus, wise men, you just tell me all about it. You can go check it out. Just let me know. Oh, Monday night football, yeah. Oh, oh no, the dove. Oh, look out, you know. <laughs> but some of us have this mentality. Oh, yeah, Jesus. And then we go plop down on the sofa. Monday Night Football, American Idol. Did I ever tell you my spiel about that already? Yeah, I did. I was laughing. It's dying. Get over it. It's a dead show. Don't go into, like, Jersey Shore either or something new. I mean, come on. Just spend your time better. Anyways, I'm not going <laughs> to. But do you like me? There's Herod. Mm. Oh, what's going to happen next? Oh, next episode. I can't wait. Good thing I T-voted. <laughs> Watch it now. You know, and while the wise men are in Bethlehem worshiping. Guys, this crossroads of Christmas, we see the wise men, farthest from Christmas, coming from 500 miles away, and pagans at that. And they come to worship Jesus. And then you have, hmm, we know the Bible inside and out. We have it memorized. We are very well-to-do people. The scribes, eh, Bethlehem, let's go back to studying. Teaching our lectures and our halls and seminaries, and then you have Herod and oh yeah, Bethlehem. You you know I'm interested, but just tell me about it, and that'll be fine. You know it's like the husband that watches football Sunday morning, and wife, just tell me, give me your notes, and that that'll be church for me. <laughs> Take good notes for me. Channel, channel, channel. It's so sad But that is that's the crossroads of Christmas, and even within our midst, those closest to it just, mm, got some other interest right now. But the wise men are wise because they went the miles to worship. All the way from Babylon. 500 miles. It probably took them two years. Um, we imagine that, you know, we have the manger scene. There's the wise man, Jesus' the little baby. He was probably a two-year-old child by the time they got there. A long trek. They searched diligently for Jesus. And they didn't give up till they found Him. And so, Herod, tell me all about him when you come back. You guys know why, right? I, too, want to worship him. Oh, Herod, he worshipped blood. Seriously, he wanted to worship Jesus by killing Jesus. And he tried, but he failed. You guys know how Herod took his throne? (laughs) A lot of blood. Some of you guys have heard the story of Herod, I'm sure. I don't intend to go into the detail tonight, but... He was a guy who was a very short man, probably like me or so. And he wanted the throne, and so he fought his way for the throne. He had to take the city of Jerusalem with much bloodshed. He took the throne when his sons and his wife and his brother and everyone related to him and servants were even suspiciously wanting his throne. He didn't just say, hey, you shouldn't do that. He took a sword, lopped their head off, and then told the dead head, ha ha, you shouldn't do that. And he killed hundreds of people to keep his throne. And so no wonder, when the wise men say, where's Jesus, the king? He says, wait a minute. I'm going to kill this king. This is my throne. This is why he was troubled. Because Herod said, it's my throne. My kingdom. I am the king. (sighs) And Christmas troubles some of us. We'd rather go study our schoolwork. Most of you wouldn't, I'm sure. Or go flip on the TV. Because really, worshiping Jesus kind of troubles us. We don't want Him to be King. We don't like that idea. Oh, it's fine. Brandon, you tell us about Jesus. You worship Him during the weekend. I'll come Sunday night and you tell me everything you learn. That's fine with me. I just want to be the King. You're not going to live a life of peace that way. You will be troubled at every mention of Jesus. Every time you, that's why perhaps some of you struggle with getting the Bible open actually reading it, because something inside of you is troubled. It says, "I don't want Jesus to be king. I am satisfied holding this throne." And you'd rather send wise guys like Tim to go tell you what Jesus is like. Not a good place. Jesus came to be the Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9, or actually Isaiah 11 says, uh, Ephesians 2 says that He is our peace. And the Christian ought to have perfect peace in following Jesus Christ. No, not peace around Him, but peace within Him, because He has the Prince of Peace on the throne of His life. But as long as we say, "Mm, I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to rule my life. Yeah, I love Jesus. I want to know about Him, but I'm not going to actually go 500 miles to find Him or to go out of my way to seek Him and to worship Him. I'm fine at a distance. I'm fine just controlling my own realm. If your heart is troubled in that, you know why. And if you're fine with that, maybe God will eventually get you to turn. But man, why live with that trouble? You guys have had the flu and that trouble in your stomach. We hate throwing up. But I tell you, it feels better to get it out. I can fight it and lay in my bed all night and oh, and you know, I can be strong. I can hold it back and I'm going to do this. But there's something about just giving in and surrendering to the urge that in some ways is very liberating. The stomach has peace afterwards. And that's how it is with Jesus. I don't want to go worship because I know how painful it can be to give up. But I promise you the peace that pursues and surrounds your heart when you do. Herod never knew it. Herod never knew it. And he died a miserable man whom everyone hated. And just... So that people would mourn when he died? Because everyone was going to celebrate, he can do that. No one liked him. Just to make people mourn when he died, he commanded that all the servants be executed when he died, so that people would cry. The servants who were gonna die would weep. Don't die, Herod's please. I don't wanna die. Well, some bright guy realized that when Herod's dead he don't have to carry out his order, so everyone got to live and everyone celebrated anyways. But Herod's trouble. Man, you don't want to live that miserable life. Be the wise guy. Don't play the fool. Don't play the Herod and, oh, TV's more interesting right now. I get that. It's interesting, but don't let it replace going to Bethlehem yourself. Well, the wise men did. So they celebrate in verse 9, after listening to the king, they went their way. And behold, the star which they had seen when it rose went before them, and it came over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, verse 10, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And so it is, gang, when you follow Jesus, exceedingly great joy follows you. Psalm 16, verse 11 says that in His presence, is fullness of joy. And you know that, you who have worshipped wholeheartedly, you who have prayed passionately, you who have read the Bible consistently and walk with your Lord and follow that star wherever He is, you know the joy of walking with Jesus Christ. And you know what these wise men are experiencing. Abba Herod, on his sofa in front of the tube, with his troubled heart, was a miserable man. And so they rejoiced and in verse 11 going into the house they saw the child with Mary his mother and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening how do they worship? Well, like this. Opening their treasures they offered him gifts gold and frankincense and myrrh. They offered him gifts. How, how do you guys come to the Bible when you read it? How do you enter prayer when you attempt it? How do you participate in worship downstairs? Is it more of a give, a giving, or a getting? We fall into this temptation sometimes of, hmm, I don't like that song. I'm not going to sing that one. Oh, this is my favorite song. To let my mind wander off through the day because <laughs> it's a boring one. <laughs> oh, I don't like it when that team leads worship. They're boring. They're not interesting. And somehow this mentality of it's about me kind of develops. When really guys worship is about giving. What do we give, Brandon? Do we take our clothes off and like a rock concert start swinging over our heads? Go Jesus! <laughs> no, he doesn't want that. I mean, if that's your thing, fine. But I'm pretty sure more attention will be on you than on Jesus at that point. Just a guess. Well, I might have to escort you <laughs> out of the building. <laughs> I don't want to see that. Oh, I'm not okay. Um, <laughs> it's about giving what? About giving the treasures of your heart to Jesus, just as they did. They opened their treasure and gave them not just mm, white elephant gifts, Christmas time. Here, I don't want this. <laughs> have it. You go. There's some weird things that those. I've seen toilet paper wrapped up. It, Listen, that's not a gift. A gift is something valuable. Like gold. Like frankincense. Like myrrh. Check this out. This is cool. Gold represents a king, of course, because they have lots of it. Frankincense, a priest, because God commanded that the priest lay frankincense on the altar as an aroma to him. And the myrrh represents a prophet because the myrrh was used to embalm the dead whom Jesus said as a prophet, I'm going to die and rise again. You guys just watch. And it happens. See, you have here Jesus outlined in gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The gold, he's the king. He's the king of the world. Oh, we don't see him necessarily ruling with an iron fist now, but he will. He's going to come. Read Revelation. It's very sobering. He will come. He is the king. He's also our prophet. He is the middleman between us and God. He's how we can have a little cockroach relationship with an actually intellectual holy being. Because Jesus meets us halfway and represents us to the Father. He showed us the Father on earth. He died for our sins so we can come to the Father. He is our priest. And He's also the prophet who rose as He said He would. The gold, frankincense, and myrrh all there. Jesus Christ, the perfectly presented threefold ministry He has for us. All represented in the wise men's gifts. And they gave it to Him from their treasures. Guys... Give your best to the Lord. What's my best? My shoes? No, no. Your best is your very life. What do you love? What is your dream? Lay it down before Him to the King, to the prophet, to the priest. Tell Him, Hey, I am not living like Herod anymore. I am going to be the wise guy. I am going to worship you this Christmas and I give to you my best. Jesus said, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. They gave the treasure. Jesus wants your heart. What's in there? What's important to you? Open it up and let him have it. And so, they do that. And what happens is, in verse 12, they were warned in a dream not to return to Herod. Why? Because his secret counsel was all about murdering Jesus. Did they know that? No, they were duped. They were lured by the secret message. So God warned them in a dream, very wisely, and it says, They departed to their own country by another way. I like that so much. They're coming as pagans to worship Jesus. They find Him. They give Him their best. They worship Him on their faces. And when they get up to go home, they don't go the way they came in as pagans. They go out another way. They're different people with a different walk of life, completely changed. They leave another way. Do you walk into God's throne of worship and come out differently? Or do you come out the same? I believe true worship, when we give to Him our heart, changes us so that we come out a different way, completely changed. You won't come out with the same troubles you had going in. They're at the feet of Jesus. You won't come out with the same arrogance you had going in. It's at the feet of Jesus. You won't come out with the same tendencies to follow those passions and lusts and temptations as you did coming in. They're all at the feet of Jesus. And so these heathen leave, very moved, very touched, very changed. They go out a different way. Please let that be your Christmas. As you come to these crossroads, you have these options. Am I going to be Herod? Oh yeah, it's so interesting, but man, Brandon just gives it to me good. So I'm going to just let you tell me, you old wise man. (laughs) You may not think I'm wise, but follow along. (laughs) Or you might be the scribe and say, oh, I know all of that. I'm just going to Read some more. And you forget to like... You guys know you can read... uh, We already talked about this. Do you know you can read the Bible and not get anything out of it? Meet Jesus in it. Come on. Um, Bob wanted to be... wanted to build stuff. So he read a book on engineering. He was able to design things. Billy wanted to be able to count things in math. So he read a book on mathematics and he was able to add. But Peter... Oh, Peter. Wanted to read a book on swimming. So he read a book on swimming... And he drowned. <laughs> reading doesn't fix things. It's the main point there. Reading the Bible isn't enough. It's reading it and seeking Jesus. Christian, don't be lazy with the Lord. The wise men went 500 miles. They sought Him with their whole heart. They went the distance. Even when they came to Jerusalem, oh, we, we, we don't know where He is now. Should we go back? They kept pursuing even through the courts and the dangers of Herod. They kept going till they found... Bethlehem they kept searching the high places till they found the very lowest place and then they looked in the cave and said where's the king oh they probably wasn't in the cave by then anymore maybe in a house but where's the king that little kid but that didn't stop them there they just bowed lower to make him higher they went the distance do you guys go the distance this Christmas please do do we have a consistent reading program in God's Word? Oh, you, Brandon, you don't know how early the morning is. Rim, man, I have zero period. Hey, the wise man wouldn't have stopped there. It's fine. I'm getting up at 5 or at 4 or whatever it takes. I am going to Jesus this morning. Or perhaps the morning's not your thing, the evening. Oh, but Brandon, I love to just finish watching TV before I go to bed. No, the wise man turns it off a little bit earlier to meet with Jesus. He goes the distance. And Jeremiah 29.13 promises that you will seek me and find me. God says, when, 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 you seek for me with all your heart. If you give him your treasure, he will be your treasure and you will find him. And that distance is just miles behind you. You don't don't care anymore. You go the distance. You do what it takes. You're like Moses. You'll climb any mountain to get the law from God rather than worship a calf where it's easy and you don't have to climb anything. Be that wise guy and go the distance. And listen, this is the cool thing. When you do, you shine the light of God in such a way that people follow that light, your star, if you will, to Jesus. They say, hey, whoa, there's a wise guy. Something about him loves God his Lord so much. What is it? And they see you radiate like that star in the sky and they say, oh, he, even heathen. Say, oh, let's follow that. Where is it going? And they follow it to Jesus just by your life. They will see, they will follow, they will wonder and they might even come to you and say, where is the King? And you can say, oh boy, have I been praying for this moment. Be that wise guy and go the distance and you will be like that star and He will lead people miles. Even from pagan Babylon, people will see Jesus. Oh, not all of them will choose Him. Some will be like Herod and the scribes, but they will at least see. And when you stand before the Lord, you can say, hey, I've shown. I did what I could. God will say, well done, wise guy, good and faithful servant. Enter into the kingdom I have made just for you the crossroads of Christmas, where do you go? Lord, I pray that it would be for us to be the wise men. No matter what the distance, no matter how hard the trek, and for us, Lord, that 500 miles might be as simple as hitting the power button on the TV. It might be as basic as closing that book about vampires. It might be as simple as getting up a little bit earlier. Lord, I don't know what it is, but lead us, please. Lead us to Bethlehem this year, where we can worship Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.